Well, happy Easter to you. It's so good to celebrate this special season with you today. Uh, I don't know, you know, like what traditions you have around Easter. I remember as a kid growing up here in San Antonio, uh, we had certain family traditions we did each Easter. Like, I remember my sister and my mom and I would decorate Easter eggs. You know, back when Easter eggs were real, none of this fake plastic stuff. I mean, my mom would boil two, three dozen eggs, and we would decorate real eggs. And, and the first thing we would do in the morning on Easter Sunday is <coughs> my dad would have gone around the house and hidden these eggs all over the place. And we would do Easter egg hunts just over and over all throughout the day. And, you know, every once in a while, you wouldn't find one. And you wouldn't find it until two or three weeks later when it was rotted somewhere in the house. <laughs> It was awesome. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I don't know about your mom. I mean, my mom has issues. And so she, uh, sorry, mom. She, uh, every year she would get me Easter outfits. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was adorable. And, uh, but over the years, you know, uh, I've come to see that e- Easter is about more than great family traditions. Easter is about when light conquered darkness. Easter is about love defeating hatred. Easter is about sorrow becoming joy. It's about despair becoming hope. It's about death becoming resurrection. But you know, all of this Easter stuff, it really doesn't mean much if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. If Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, then the Christian religion is a sham. Everything in Christianity rests upon the resurrection. But let's be honest. Let's be honest. This whole idea about dead people coming back to life, (laughs) it seems a little bit unbelievable, right? Like, Like something out of the walking dead or something? And so for those of you who are new to church, you're still checking out Christianity, you're not sure what you think about all this stuff, uh, first of all, I want you to know you're welcome here. Uh, we love people wherever they are in their journey. But I know that what I'm going to ask you to consider today seems unbelievable. So why should you believe the unbelievable? Do you believe Jesus has risen from the dead? I believe your response to that question is the most important answer you will ever give. And I believe our response to that question is, the, is more important now in our country than ever before. You see, recently I read an article in USA Today entitled, Jesus Doesn't Need Christianity. <laughs> Written by a guy named Tom Krattenmacher. He's a self-described secular follower of Jesus. And in his article, he notes the, the disturbing trend of the rising numbers of people in our country who have no religious affiliation of any kind. In fact, surveys tell us that one out of four Americans and almost half of all millennials have no religious identity of any kind. And his way of addressing that negative trend is he says this, he said, hey, what we need to do is separate the morals of Jesus that people are often attracted to from the Christian religion, which asserts that Jesus is the divine Son of God, the Savior who must, you must believe in. He said we ought to separate those two things. They shouldn't go together. This is what he says, and I quote, If secular people, those who don't have the religion, 
And secular people can focus on the values and teachings of Jesus without getting tripped up by the religious context, they might find a surprisingly refreshing source of guidance. In other words, let's hold on to the morals of Jesus, but let's not pay attention to those miracles. I mean, that's sort of weird. And, and let's embrace Jesus' values, uh, but let's disregard the movement. And let's embrace Jesus' ethics, but let's chunk the cross in the resurrection. Is that what we really need? Do we just need a better set of values? I don't think so. <laughs> That's right, baby. <laughs> hey, you know why I say that? I, I found that most people struggle to live up to the moral values they already have. I mean, do you live up to your moral standards? I don't. <laughs> and I can't. And that's why I don't think what we all need is a better set of values. And that was true for my friend Zach. And he's given me permission to share a little bit of his story with you. You see, Zach grew up in a, a good family, good religious family. They had good morals. In fact, he was such a good little boy, he was an altar boy in his church. And he told me that what he remembered about his religious heritage were the moral rules that you were to keep and the religious rituals. He told me that he thought Christianity was all about being like Christ. It was about how you lived. It was about not messing up, not making mistakes. And it was, by living up, it was about living up to the high moral standards of Jesus. But he admitted to me that he struggled with that. He, he told me, he said, Brent, I was terrible at keeping my moral standards. And so along the way, he felt judged by his church, and so he walked away, and he went down a different path, the path of pleasure. And so he told me he started to party a lot, and he had a lot of fun and enjoyed himself. He started drinking a lot. He ended up getting addicted to alcohol, and then eventually he got addicted to drugs. And so what he thought was going to make his life so awesome actually made it awful. He admitted to me, these are his words, that he lived a disgusting life. It was disgusting to him, and it was disgusting to others. And what Zach needed most at that point in his journey was not a better set of morals. He couldn't even live up to the ones he already had. And so, I don't think what we need is a better set of morals. And so, if on this Easter Sunday you came to church so I could inspire you to add a few good morals into your standards or into your values. I'm going to let you off the hook this Easter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you see, the Christian movement is not a movement of good morals. If Jesus has not risen from the dead, then we ought to blow off this Christian religion stuff. And I really do mean that. If Jesus has not risen from the dead... We ought to eat whatever we want. We ought to drink whatever we want, as much as we want. We ought to pursue all the pleasure we can while we can, because you know what? Tomorrow we might die, so we ought to have a lot of fun today. Oh yeah, I bet you weren't expecting to hear that message on Easter. Now, before all my church folk get mad at me and start posting a bunch of angry words on our church uh, Facebook page or something, I just want to say I'm not the first person to say what I just said. The first person to say what I just said 
wrote half the Christian scriptures. His name is Paul. And Paul wrote these words to people who were struggling to believe the unbelievable. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul wrote, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep are lost. If for this life, uh, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people to be pitied most. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Now, Paul wrote those words to people in the ancient city of Corinth who were struggling with this notion of the resurrection. You see, even back then, the idea of the resurrection of the dead seemed unbelievable to them, as it can to many of us. But I want you to notice what Paul said to them. He said, look, if the resurrection doesn't happen, the Christian religion is futile. If the resurrection doesn't happen, your sins never get forgiven. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then this life is it. And so you ought to party hardy, have a lot of fun, and live like there's no tomorrow. I mean, who needs a better set of morals if there is no tomorrow? Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, I am a pastor. We do believe in the moral teachings of Jesus. In fact, I believe Jesus' moral teachings were the most profound ever given. I mean, Jesus taught us to love one another, especially those who are hard to love, especially those who don't love us back. And Jesus taught us to forgive when we're wronged, even when the person who wronged us doesn't ask for forgiveness. And Jesus taught us that we ought to give sacrificially to the poor and we ought to defend the oppressed. We ought to make a difference in this world. Jesus taught us that we ought to turn the other cheek when we're offended. Jesus taught us that we ought to resolve the anger in our hearts. Jesus taught us that we ought to control the lust in our hearts so that those inner desires don't ruin our lives. Jesus taught us that we ought to love our enemies and to pray for those who hurt us. Folks, Jesus had a pretty high set of moral standards. And and around City Church, we do believe in those moral standards. But, and I think this is so important, I don't think you can separate the moral teachings of Jesus from these unbelievable claims that he also made. Like, let me give you a couple of examples. Did you know that Jesus claimed he could forgive people's sins? Why would we believe that? And did you know that Jesus claimed he came from heaven? Well, that's weird. And did you know that Jesus claimed that he existed before Abraham? The Abraham whose story is told in the first book of the Bible? The Abraham who was on the earth 2,000 years before Jesus was on the earth? That Abraham? Jesus said, hey, I existed before him. Why would we believe that? Did you know that Jesus claimed that God is his father? Did you know that Jesus claimed that when he died, he would come back to life. And perhaps one of the most unbelievable claims Jesus ever made pertains to you and to me. He made this unbelievable claim in John 640. He said this, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him will have eternal life 
and I will raise them up on the last day. Jesus claimed that if you will look to him and believe in him, that after you die, he said, I will raise them up. He's saying he can give you resurrected life. Why would we believe that? Why would we believe him? Why would we believe the unbelievable? Well, this is how Paul answered that very question. 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance. In other words, this is the most important thing in the Christian religion. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12, his 12 key leaders. After that, he appeared to more than 500, get this, 500 believers at the same time. Most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, that's Jesus' half-brother, who did not believe Jesus was the Son of God until after the resurrection. And last of all, he appeared to me also. Now this, this, this passage is so important because those verses are the first written account of the resurrection of Jesus. And most historians believe that Paul wrote this letter about 15 to 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And what's important is that Paul wrote these words to people, maybe people like you, who were struggling to believe the unbelievable. And this is why he told them they ought to believe the unbelievable. He said because hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people saw the unbelievable. They saw Jesus risen from the dead. And he was writing to people who in that day, he said, hey, look, you can go talk to them. The hundreds of people who saw Jesus risen, you can go talk to them. In fact, he encouraged them to do that. Why did he do that? Because the Christian faith is not built upon a good set of morals. The Christian faith is built upon the resurrection of the dead. And something happened in the early days of Christianity that it was so compelling that the Christian movement spread throughout the Roman Empire like wildfire despite facing unbelievable odds. I mean, these first believers, they had no political power. They had very little money. And they faced brutal opposition and persecution from the Roman Empire on one hand and from the Jewish religious and political leaders on the other. And yet these first believers clung to their faith that they had seen Jesus risen from the dead. And they believed that that proved that he could forgive people's sins and give people eternal life. And what was it about their message, think about this, that was so compelling that they talked thousands and thousands of other people all across the Roman Empire to believe what they believe and to face persecution for what they believe. Why would they? What was their message? Their message wasn't, hey, we've got a better set of values you ought to live by. Their message was, we've seen Jesus risen from the dead. He's the savior of the world. He can forgive your sins and give you eternal life. Believe the unbelievable. Folks, the resurrection changes everything. It did for Paul. Some of you know a little bit about Paul's story. You see, Paul did not grow up in the church. Anything but. In fact, Paul did not believe Jesus was the son of God. He did not believe Jesus had risen from the dead. And Paul was not looking for a better set of moral values. In fact, he had already lived according to the most rigorous set of moral standards for his day. Let me explain what I mean by that. You see, Paul was a Pharisee, and a Pharisee was the strictest form of the Jewish religion. 
So let me give you some examples of how he lived his life. To be a Pharisee, you had to memorize the first five books of the Bible, word for word. And to be a Pharisee, you had to live according to the 613 commandments in those five books of the Bible. Not 10, 613. And then on top of that, Pharisees added, just to be safe, another 250 commands and another 365 prohibitions to avoid. And like I went to Marshall High School, so I'm good at math. And you know how many commandments that makes it? That's over 1,200 commands. And all I'm trying to say is Paul was not looking for another set of moral standards. He already had one of the highest set of moral standards available. And in fact, Better morals is not even what he needed most. In fact, I don't think he knew what he needed most yet. Well, because of his strict adherence to the the Pharisaic form of Judaism, he viewed Christianity as a dangerous false religion. So he opposed it and persecuted it by getting legal documents to get the first believers arrested and have some thrown in prison and have even some put to death. And one day he was traveling to the ancient city of Damascus to deliver more uh, arrest warrants. And along the way, as he traveled down that dusty road, he experienced the unbelievable. And he finally realized what he needed most. And so we're going to look at that account. And in this account, Paul is referred to by the Jewish form of his name, Saul. So Paul and Saul are the same person. This is Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. It's like heaven came to earth for Paul's sake. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. You know what I find so beautiful about that encounter? And that's that Jesus pursued Paul when Paul wasn't pursuing Jesus. In fact, Jesus pursued Paul when Paul was fighting Jesus. (laughs) But when Paul saw Jesus risen from the dead, He believed the unbelievable. And when he believed the unbelievable, it did something at the very core of his being. He went from being an angry, violent man to becoming a prophet of love. And Paul, who once persecuted the Christian movement and fought against it, became a leader of the Christian movement. And he was one of the key leaders who spread the Christian movement and its message throughout the whole Roman Empire. And He ultimately was arrested for what he believed, was persecuted for what he believed, and he died for what he believed. But he clung to his faith in the resurrection of Jesus. And I don't think that someone goes from persecuting a movement to leading it and dying for it unless he saw what he said he saw. You know what I'm saying? To me, it's just logical. When Paul saw Jesus risen from the dead, it changed everything for him. And I believe it will change everything for you. Because if Jesus has risen from the dead, then everything changes. If Jesus has risen from the dead, then light has already conquered darkness. 
then love has already defeated hatred. If Jesus has risen from the dead, then sorrow in your life can become hope. It can become joy. If Jesus has risen from the dead, it means this life is not it. It's only the beginning of eternal life. If Jesus has risen from the dead, then your marriage and other relationships that might be broken, they can be raised back to life. If Jesus is risen from the dead, then your past does not have to define your future. You can have a new life in Jesus. If Jesus has risen from the dead, you don't have to fear anything. Not illness, not cancer, not hardships, not even death. If Jesus has risen from the dead, then you don't have to grieve like folks who don't have hope. Because because of the resurrection of Jesus, you're going to see loved ones who have already fallen asleep. If Jesus has risen from the dead, because he has, the suffering that you now face, you will not face alone. You will get through it. You will endure. Because he promises to come to you and to help you in your suffering. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, you can overcome. You can overcome anger. You can overcome addictions. You can overcome anxieties. You can overcome depression. And perhaps most importantly, if Jesus has risen from the dead, you have a Savior. And you have the kind of Savior who pursues you. He pursues you even if you're running from Him. He pursues you even if you're fighting against Him. And if you're running, I'm asking you to stop. If you're fighting against Him, I'm asking you to stop. And look up and believe. Believe the unbelievable. That Jesus really is the Son of God. That he died on the cross to pay for your sins. That he has risen from the dead to prove that he can forgive your sins and give you eternal life. I ask you to believe the unbelievable. Not just because of what Jesus did back then, but because of what Jesus continues to do today. Earlier, I told you about my friend Zach and some of the struggles that he was facing in life and some of his struggles with his addictions. And what my friend Zach needed most was not another set of morals. He couldn't live up to the ones he already had. What my friend Zach needed most was a savior. And this is the rest of his story. I always had this belief that my life meant something and that there was a God and I had like this purpose. But then there was another part of me that was like, well, maybe you're just crazy and you're just making that up. I remember I walked into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, went in there uh, because I needed help living um, and I didn't know how to live with alcoholism. Over that first two years of sobriety, what happened was like everything externally was good. Like everything on the external was, was awesome. But internally, I was a complete mess. Anything that I could use to fill that void of drugs and alcohol, I did. And so I remember one day after about two years of sobriety, and I was in that dark and depressed, nasty, just disgusting place. And all of a sudden I hear this understanding of a voice. It wasn't audible, it was like this understanding of a voice that just like covered me from head to toe. And it said, Zach, I, I, I need you to come seek and understand why I died for this sin and uh, that I'm the only way to the Father. When he came into my heart that day, I was like, yo, this is freaking weird. Because first off, like, I don't get down with you, Jesus. You're just a dude in my book. And so I told him, I said, hey, look, if you're not just some voice in my head, give me a sign. 
But I was in a band out in Denton that was my life. God gave me that band in the midst of my alcoholism and drug addiction. We knew a, a pastor uh, from City Church uh, who we'd met. He was the father of uh, some kids who were in a band. And uh, we brought them to Denton. They brought us to San Antonio to play some shows. And so here we were in San Antonio playing this show. And I had told this pastor buddy of mine, man, I've been seeking Jesus. This band's done. And uh, I don't know what to do. And so my, my pastor buddy invited me to City Church. I remember sitting in just the rehearsal of the Saturday night service. All it was was the production team in there and the band and my pastor buddy sitting right next to me. Literally no one else in the whole auditorium. Jen Jennings was singing the Our Father. And uh, it was during the part where she sang, uh, let heaven come over and over again. She kept singing that. Let heaven come. And heaven came down. Uh, for the first time in my life, I encountered God. Um, and it was so overwhelming uh, that, that it, it took my breath away. I was weeping. Uh, God showed me on that stage and he said, you could be here. All you have to do is move here. And, uh, and I remember just being overwhelmed because I was experiencing God uh, for the first time in my life. I'm talking about the overwhelming presence of God. And, uh, and I remember, I keep hearing this in my heart, you could be here, all you have to do is move here. And then all of a sudden, my pastor buddy came and sat back down next to me, and he looked at me and said, you know, Zach, you could be here. All you have to do is move here. What is up, City Church? Peace. Happy Easter. My name is Zach Scoggins, and yes, that is me, the dude that was on the screen. And uh, Pastor Brent wanted me to come out here and share some things with you. And I said, well, what do you want me to share? He said, whatever God puts on your heart. And I was like, well, here we go. This is what I got. Uh, what you didn't hear in the video was the name of the band that I was in in Denton was 1140. And if you've ever tried to think of a band name, or if you haven't, whatever, uh, it's extremely difficult. And here's why. Because to try to think of a band name that's not cheesy or lame and that's actually cool, uh, and to uh, think of something that's not uh, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, or Pearl Jam, that's impossible. Uh, it just, it's very difficult. So the first time that we played live, we played an open mic, okay? And they had 20-minute increments. And the 20-minute increment we got was the 11.40 time slot. We played, first time we played, we played Nameless. Uh, but we got up there, we killed it. And that night afterwards, we're all partying. This was long before Jesus. And I looked at my band and I was like, what about 11.40 for a band name? And they were like, yeah, let's do it. And so it just kind of stuck. My buddy looked on Google to see if 11.40 was already a band name. It wasn't. That's awesome. But the only thing that kept coming up in the Google search engine was John 11.40 from the Bible. Here's what John 11.40 is. Did I not tell you if you believed you would see the glory of God? And I, ooh, that's, that's good, right? Yeah. You would have thought I came to Jesus that day, but I didn't. All I said was, that just means if we believe in the band, the dream's going to come true and we're going to be famous. I used to do a lot of drugs, so I, you know, my mind wasn't all there. But now that I know Jesus, and I walk with Jesus, I know that's a part of the Bible, where Jesus raised one of his homeboys named Lazarus from the dead to life. Jesus came on the scene. Lazarus' sisters are weeping and wailing. They're like, Jesus, if you would have only been here, Lazarus would still be alive. And Jesus looked at him and he said, hey, did I not tell you if you believed you would see the glory of God? And then he raised Lazarus to life. And the reason that verse is my life verse, and it means so much to me, not just because it was my band name, but the reason it means so much to me is because when I put my belief in Jesus, he raised me back to life. 
And it blows my mind that people would want just the moral side of the relationship with Jesus. Just give me your morals, Jesus, which is crazy because he was perfect. That's crazy. But then it blows my mind because you shortchange yourself on the unbelievable parts, right? Here's what I know. Here's what I know to be true. When I put my belief in the unbelievable claims that Jesus made of being the son of God, the savior of the world, that he was going to die for our sins and raise again on the third day, when I put my belief in that, all of a sudden my life opened up to a whole world full of unbelievable things. They've only given me like four or five minutes to talk, but if I had the whole hour, I couldn't convey to you all the unbelievable things I've seen in only four and a half years of following Jesus. I wouldn't even remember them all, and I mean that. But the most beautiful thing that I've seen, the most unbelievable thing that I've seen since I've been following Jesus is this. He's made me a new creation. Y'all don't know this about me. Y'all only see me now. But I used to suck. Like, I was not a good guy. I was the kind of guy who would steal your money and then try to help you find it. It's over there. I think I saw it over there. Like, that was who I was. But he's given me a new heart. And it's good. And it's kind. And it's loving and it's caring. He's renewing my mind more and more every day. He's made me the kind of man that a woman would want to marry. And I've got a beautiful, amazing, lovely wife who is good inside and out. Check this out. I'm a really good husband. And I don't just say that to toot my horn and be like, look how cool I am. It's the unbelievable work of Christ in me that has made me a good husband. And I mean that with all my heart. And then... I'm 36. I had my first kid at 36 years old. He's about to be a year, old, a year old next month. His name is Zeke. He's a little world changer. He's super cute. I love that kid. And then we just found out four days ago we're going to have another kid. What? What? And I don't say all this to be like, hey, check me out. Look how cool I am. That's the power of Christ in me, the unbelievable power of Christ in me. And so I say that. And I want to talk to all the haters in here. I've been a hater too. I want to talk to all the atheists and agnostics. I've been there too. Anybody who needs hope, anybody who's under a mountain of shame, fear, guilt, regret, if you got a marriage that's falling apart, if your single life is just taking its toll on you because you're so lonely, or if you've got an addiction that's literally ripping you to shreds and everybody else around you, I want to talk to you. Because if you haven't put your life and your belief in Jesus yet, you're shortchanging yourself. And to those who have never said yes to Jesus and you're a doubter, if there's even a smidge of something inside you that when I'm talking is struck, then I challenge you to put your belief in Jesus. Because the Bible says faith the size of a mustard seed grows the largest plant in the garden. And that's faith is what that is. So I'm going to challenge you to put your faith in Jesus. So we're going to bow our heads here in a minute. And I'm going to say a prayer, and you can repeat it out loud, or you can repeat it in your heart however you want. And if you've prayed this prayer a thousand times, pray it again. Can't pray it enough. So here we go. Let's go there. God, I confess I'm a sinner. I acknowledge I need a Savior. And Jesus... I believe you died for my sins and rose again on the third day. And Jesus, don't just come into my heart, but become my heart. As we live a life together, 
and you show me the unbelievable. I love you, and I pray this in your name. Amen. If you just pray that prayer, listen, 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 listen. If you just pray that prayer, you're a freed slave. You're free. And who the sun sets free is free indeed. And I don't care what your mind tries to tell you. Your mind tries to tell you, oh, you ain't free. Or the world will try to tell you, you ain't free. I'm telling you, I'm your brother. Listen, I'm your brother. Listen, you're free.